Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jim Brinkman, David Beatty, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. And with me tonight is Bob Brinkman. Hey, hey. His lovely bride, Jen Brinkman. Hello, Mr. Bacon Wizard. And the man who replaced me, oh. Mark Bruner. <laughs> I could never replace you, David. I don't know. You left. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> And of course, returning to our show, David Beatty. Hey, Podites. Glad to be back. I am a happy little podcaster right now. Squee! (laughs) (laughs) So tonight, we are going to examine a work by author H.P. Lovecraft, The Mound. Bob, why don't you tell us a little about it? The story is narrated by an ethnologist who visits the town of Binger, Oklahoma in 1928 to investigate certain stories related to a certain nearby mound, which is said to be haunted by a strange Indian man by day and a headless woman by night. The local people avoid the place, and there are strange stories of those who dared to venture there either disappearing or returning insane and inexplicably altered. Being initially quite skeptical, the narrator brings some archaeological tools and visits the mound, noticing that the man pacing it appears closest to the native Indians, but cannot be identified with any known Indian tribe. Through a talisman made of a strange metal given to him by a local chieftain, he unearths a strange cylinder made of the same unidentifiable metal full of hideous engravings and strange hieroglyphics. Upon discovering a scroll written in Spanish in the cylinder, the narrator returns to his host and begins to translate it. The contents of the scroll, covering a large part of the narrative, describe the travels of one Panfio de Zamacona y Nunez, an Asturian explorer almost 400 years prior. Zamacona recounts how he was part of an expedition from Mexico to North America, and how, through the help of a native Indian, he discovered a vast underground world filled with grotesque temples and populated by strange beasts and a highly advanced telepathic civilization who worship Cthulhu, Yig, Shubnigarath, and, until a certain incident, Tasthagwa. The members of the underground race, who lived in what they called the Kingdom of Kinyan, welcomed him, but the more Zamacona learned about them, the more fearful he became. The narrator is shocked by the scroll but remains skeptical, so the next day he goes to the mound again for further investigation, repeatedly telling himself that this is an elaborate hoax. Upon digging in a depression on the mound, he discovers a staircase leading deep underground. Cue spooky music. Dun dun dun. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. So what's your first impression, Dave? This is one of my all-time favorite stories. When Dark Trails first kind of came to be, I asked the master of Lovecraft himself, Mr. Brinkman, if he could point me to some (laughs) tales that would kind of give me that old West feel. And I think this takes place 
in the early 1900s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But still, it slides really easily into a Western boot. See what I did there? So this is probably my favorite story. It starts out, you kind of wonder what's going on, but towards the middle of the end, when he actually gets down into the land of Kenyan, did I say that right? Sure. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. I don't know. It's like you're stepping into a whole new world that's just filled with horror and twisted, sadistic things. So... I loved it. I think it's awesome. It is an absolute favorite. Yeah, thanks for introducing me to mm-hmm. this. This is the first time I read it, and it was a delight to, to see oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I thought I'd read it before, but it you know, apparently it's just one of those that, because it was in my H.P. Lovecraft anthologies, it was always one of those companion... Mm-hmm. It was always published separately, right. It was, right. yeah, all of his ghost work and editing stuff is always sold separately. And so, yeah, it's it's a little harder to find. But it was really fun because I think it starts out almost like a ghost story. Yeah. And it has these kind of like neat, you know, scary horror elements that are not very Lovecraftian. They're just more tales of the Old West or, you know, sort of the spooky tales you tell around a campfire. And then it really does take that turn into the Lovecraftian, you know, mythos really heavy. So it was a lot of fun to read. He ghost wrote this piece for Zelia Bishop. And when she approached Lovecraft, what she wanted was... A traditional ghost story. She wanted a story about a mound outside Binger, Oklahoma, which is a real place with real mounds nearby, of two ghosts that appear on the mound. You know, sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman with no head. That was the, the marching orders that she gave Lovecraft, and Lovecraft went, well, ghost stories are boring. And if I might speak as an editor, blew his word count. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that Lovecraft always blows his word count. Uh, there's yeah. just no way. I mean, the, the story didn't even see print until after he was dead for three years. And then it was heavily abridged by August Derleth. And so, Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> the full version of the story that we read didn't see print until 1989. I found that astounding that with so much concentration on Lovecraft these days, that it wasn't you know, revived earlier than that. But I guess that's that's more of a recent you know thing, the, the kind of re-examination of Lovecraft and sort of bringing a lot of his stories to the forefront. But it, it shocked me that it wasn't published until so recently. Well, and you can definitely see the influence from just this particular story in so many authors within the past century. Um, I mean, specifically Appendix N, we're looking at Merritt, St. Clair, even Liber's got some similar nods in some of his pieces. Yeah, I thought that the contrast with Mare was especially stark because Merritt was writing maybe a dozen years before this. And I think what I read was a lot of Lovecraft, you know, either echoing or intentionally, you know, sort of honoring that, you know, lost city narrative that Merritt did a lot in his novels. And, you know, that he was just building upon that same sort of genre theme. You know, a, a scientist who's initially skeptical goes and explores and finds this lost world. He does that in the moon pool. He does that mm-hmm. in sort of the dwellers of the mirage, which, you know, were very current in, in sort of Lovecraft's inheritance. I really liked that aspect because it it was a part of Lovecraft that you could see a lot more direct tracing to his, you know, the predecessors that he had. And I, I really like those stories for Merritt. So it was, it was kind of fun to see his take on it. When this was published in 1940 in Weird Tales, it wasn't long after that author Richard Shaver started writing stories that collectively became known as the Shaver Mystery, and other people started writing them, much like the Lovecraft Circle and adopting the mythos, the Shaver Mystery sort of took over weird tales, and it's actually where Dungeons and Dragons draws the subterranean race the Darrow from. So the mm-hmm. Darrow traced to Shaver, and Shaver traces to Lovecraft, oh, so we actually have a gaming connection 
Already, to the yeah. story from its original publication. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, I like how the narrator tries to pass off the day ghost, the ghostly figure that wanders the mound that can be seen during the day, as maybe a collective hallucination. Because when he finally goes up to the top of the mound, <laughs> well, of course, there's nothing there. It just seems kind of, hmm, there's a stark line that is crossed from that ghost story to, oh, oh, okay, there, there's the Lovecraft. Okay, but here's where it gets tough to read. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you go from the ghost of the campfire straight to hell. Yes. That's yes. great when you do that. And the older Native American Indian that Zamacona, <laughs> Zamacona's tale uh, <laughs> relates, Charging Buffalo tells him about the old ones keeping, and I quote here, half-human slaves as nourishment for human and animal populations, but these were also supplemented with a second slave class of reanimated corpses which were the ones <laughs> responsible for communication, and they were the thought speakers. And I'm like, okay, yeah, the, did we skip a genre? Did I miss something here? <laughs> yeah, it did take that heavy turn, especially when he starts naming off like the, all the temples that are you know, prevalent in the society, and they're all mythos creatures and all the mythos gods, you know, somewhat truncated for Tulu, for Cthulhu, and, you know, the Shabnagroth and uh, Sathagtha. It's almost like, are you writing your own best of here? (laughs) Lovecraft always built on his mythos, and he let other people build on it as well. So it's natural. And one of the things he would do, he wouldn't just always say Cthulhu. Sometimes it was Cthulhu. Sometimes it was just Tulu, representing how the god was seen by different cultures and different places. And it lends it an even greater feeling of sincerity or or, uh, reality in that not everybody is going to see something the same way. And so it's not the same idol to the same named god all the time, but with this race as ancient as it is said to be, and and some of the effects, like the man who comes out of the mound insane and younger. Without any feet. (laughs) Okay, yeah, without any feet. uh, (laughs) That is probably worth mentioning. It was probably a a complaint to uh, the people that are working on those anti-aging products. I think no feet is probably a... Not a selling point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They work the kinks out, yeah. (laughs) I thought what was really neat about this story that I hadn't seen in a lot of Lovecraft was the fact that the society that, you know, the narrator and Zemakora encounters is like an actual living society. It's a society that's active versus sort of just the remains or the the degenerated... The forgotten, yeah. You know, race or the ruins or whatever. But it's a society on the brink of that. But, you know, Jen, you talked about the fact that they had this sort of like, you know, class structure. They they also had this like, you know, he goes on to describe like what pastimes they have sort of like as a, a daily activity, you know, and a lot of it's like, oh, let's go torture the slaves for a little bit and let's go you know, contemplate the, the theology that we have and all these things. But worst to do list ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think I can't recall a lot of Lovecraft that really does a lot of that. This is the society that's still thriving, you know, and it just happens to be underneath the, the surface of the world. Right. Now, that's actually pretty unique for Lovecraft tales. It's always, you know, they have fallen or just there's traces left. Right. I mean, that's how both Lovecraft and Howard, when Howard would do weird tales, it was always, you know, it was like the last serpent man corrupted and coming out of the caves, not, well, so here's the city. And uh, if you go down there, go three blocks down to the left, there's the Church of Cthulhu. And then you go <laughs> past that for two more blocks, hang it right at the gas station, and there's the Temple of Yig. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it kind of reminded me that, you know, when we delved into the Atlanteans mm-hmm. by the editor. Like, uh, Del Rey. Del Rey. And it, it was sort of like that similar parallel where this society could have overwhelmed the current world, you know, if they chose to because of their parallel evolved technology or their parallel evolved culture. Right. They just had these that sort of like precepts that prevented them from doing so culturally or, you know, they were just too weary or too indifferent you know, to do so. Yeah, I'm going to choose to use the word evolution with air quotes. Right. <laughs> They've evolved. Yeah, okay. If they evolved so much, they were bored. It seemed like they just kind of, I don't know. Attrition? Well, you know, in ancient Rome, nothing was shocking. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, I suppose. And if your society's been around for a couple thousand years, ancient Rome would not be shocking. <laughs> Why don't we move over to some things to stand? Because there's some really cool stuff in here. Yeah, definitely. There are. I was kind of drawn to some of the sort of atmospheric things you could write up. I loved the idea of phantom battle sites where they were talking about the the horses at night and they would hear the screams and the gunshots and the charge of cavalry and the moans of the dying but there was no sign of anything. It was just kind of these echoes of the past. I think that would be something really cool to drop into an adventure. When they were talking about the headless woman carrying the blue torch, that sort of reminded me of ghost light sightings because there's several places in the U.S. where there's ghost lights where they can be seen at night, but the closer you get, they're just gone. Nobody can find a source for them. And the idea of ghost lights could be a lot of fun. And of course, there's a couple gods. I mean, Yig is always a great goddad to anything. I mean, Yig. <laughs> Snake daddy Yig. You gotta have Yig. Snake daddy. <laughs> and Tirawa, the big father of men. There were some really kind of creepy vibes with him. And then without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I thought mound madness would be a great fear effect. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jen? You know, I'm kind of stuck on the thought speakers. Mm. I mean, they'd be a perfect source for a judge to be able to info dump some exposition or some history. And if players are getting bored with the lack of dungeon crawling, for lack of better words, you can just easily dispose of them by describing them as zombies. And... The one other thing that I was thinking of, am I the only one reading this going, how long was that scroll that he found? (laughs) Yeah, I have that image of like him unrolling Santa's naughty or nice list and it just goes and goes and goes. Exactly. That's easily a month's worth of transcribing and how many (laughs) checks would that be? (laughs) What's the mechanic for that one? Yeah, it it was straining the credulity for a little bit. But then I went back and realized that, well... He sort of had this intentionality about writing it and documenting these things, you know, the years that he was there. So it gave him a little bit of slack for that. The narrator said on like the second to last page that he asks for no credulity at this point. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you lost it before. <laughs> a little earlier than that. But yeah, that, that would have been a really long scroll to try to translate. Hey, Dave, your turn. I know you got stuff. I mean, you hit on a lot of them, but there were so many things. The first thing I thought of is Sathagwa would be really cool to do up as a patron. Mm. And the little houses of worship that they had in the land of Ganyan, these little golden temples. Mm. I mean, each one of those could be, you know, statted up. You could almost do this like a hex crawl, I think. It reminds me a lot of Harley Stroh's The Journey to the Center of Aerith. Yes. Aerith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. It just reminds me of that. And I have yet to go through that, but it seems like they've done a lot of little side adventures off of that one main one by Harley, so... This could very easy, I think, be a, a campaign where you set up a lot of different things that are mentioned in the book, but also, you know, you could come up with a whole host of things that, I mean, I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot of material there to do a lot of different things with. If you wanted to run something extended, 
through it. The metal that he found that the, the scroll was in, I think it wasn't the medallion that the uh, Indian chief gave him. Wasn't that the same material? It was. Yeah. yeah. That could be easily wrote up as just some kind of like alien metal that gives some sort of effects to things because I believe it gave him some protection from the folks under the earth. But so you could do that. I've actually, to be honest with you, I've ran an adventure the last year based on this story called As Above, So Below. Nice. And it's a lot of fun, and I could see doing a lot more with this. So if you're just doing a DCC game, this would really be something you could inject a heavy dose of Lovecraft into, I think. Awesome. Well, and talking about Sothagua as a patron, in a lot of ways, like you know, Nyarlathotep in the Mythos is known by many, many names, and maybe Babokabils is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could definitely do that. So that certainly would give you some fun things to do. What about you, Mark? When I was reading, the, the two that leaped out to me were the Gaia Yothin, which are those, those horn shaggy quadrupeds that they ride, as well as the Yimbi. The carnivorous horses. Yeah. <laughs> and I just wish there was some system that statted those up, <laughs> you know, that provided those as monster sets, because I think they'd be great. Yeah. I'm going to make your wishes come true one day soon, Mr. Burner. Yes. Say it ain't so. What? Those are statted up in the Dark Trails bestiary. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Woo! Yeah, I just love that description of the like the Yimbi, which is organisms which had died, but which had been mechanically reanimated for industrial purposes by means of atomic energy and thought power. Yeah, so, <laughs> I love that the the concept of that. I, th- I think it was just a, it was a fun sort of like they weren't really examined very much. They yeah. just were like a throwaway. You know, and I, I love those things about you know the, picking that stuff and running with it. So I, I can't wait to see oh, yeah. your take on it in Dark Trail. Well, the funny thing is, you mentioned those first two, and there's an encounter in the uh, the adventure that I've been running in. The group comes upon this temple, and there's some worship going on inside. But the Gyaothin are they're kind of distracted by something, and of course the the party are always just real careful, and they'll try and sneak up on them, and they're afraid these things are going to attack them. But they're busy actually eating one of the UMB because <laughs> the food source they're used as food. Yeah, so these horses are just gnawing <laughs> on it, and, and just the looks of disgust I get. Or I wish I had a picture for every time I've ran it for that one encounter where they're always like, "That's kind of gross," making your party vomit a little into their mouths. <laughs> nice. Priceless. Yeah. Um, the other one that, that came up in my thought was that there's, you know, the, the old people of Kinyane, the half human, half ghost, the fact that yeah. they're sort of like, they're, they're sort of can dial it up and down too, which I thought was a really kind of neat effect. You know, they can sometimes become semi-incorporeal or, the, you know, they can dematerialize the, you know, different objects in themselves. And just the idea that this half human, half ghost creature would be a kind of a cool one to stat up as well. Definitely. You guys still do the props portion of the show? Feel free to jump in. <laughs> oh, of course we do. David, since you're here, why don't you give us some prop and audio ideas? Well, I already hit a point once. I've actually run that same encounter where the uh, the double horses are eating the uh, atomic zombies. And I always like to, to find some sound effects on Spotify where there's some chewing, snapping, and smacking. And that may be where I get those faces. I don't know. Oh, hey, Bob, we get to add the Spotify lists again. That'll be awesome. We get, we get David <laughs> Beatty Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that should be the intro to the show, just the chewing and smacking. <laughs> Welcome to Belch. Yeah, what's that disorder for people who hate noises? Like, the, I suffer from that. So it would just be a, an hour of people eating different foods. Oh, God. I've listened to live like, broadcasts like that. And, you know, they're like, okay, we're doing a game. And there's like four people <sighs> eating Popeye's fried chicken as they're playing. No. Um, no. Nope. Here's some pizza and some Chinese. Yeah, yeah that's going to be an immediate disconnect for me. How about some statues? Like I, anytime I go to visit Cancun or any of the places like that, there's always these cool statues, maybe Aztec and origin, but you can see 
but a lot of them are kind of based on animal gods. Mm-hmm. So you could find like some toady ones to represent Sethlagwa, maybe painting it gold and then setting it on the table as, you know, your party discovers one of these in one of those temples and they're trying to make their way out. It would be kind of cool. Sound effects, of course. And then it'd be real easy to go to any of the craft stores. Some of the jewelry that they sell, you could get a kind of an ornate little silver disc and make that the, the talisman that the main character wore in the beginning that the Indian chief gave to Oh, definitely. So that's my three. What you got, Mark? Well, uh, yeah, it's the same idea in the the medallions they're carrying around. (laughs) I just stole his uh, show note. I'm sorry. I didn't read that. (laughs) And then I called you out. I'm so sorry. Damn it, David. You come back. That's okay, because I'll just let you have that one. So I, I really was intrigued by the little snippet they gave of one of the guys who died, who later shot himself, I guess. You know, he, he went crazy. But the fact that he wrote his suicide note in backwards scripts. Yeah. Ooh. Which I thought was just like this cool detail that you could really kind of work into a game. You know, suddenly, whatever clue you're giving out, it's in backwards script. And maybe that has something to do with the mental state of the person, or maybe it's just a way of, you know, conveying that this is, you know, something a little bit more esoteric. So I really like that. And also that was a cool detail we didn't talk about, but they found all his organs were flipped on either side. Well, and considering how esoteric cursive is to some younger gamers, cursive in reverse is really going to befuddle them. <laughs> yeah, so you'd have to practice at it or find some program that you do it. The blue lights that they encounter underground made me really think it'd be kind of cool for like an ambient effect to put like a nest of Christmas lights on, on your ceiling and just use those as sort of like the ambient lighting whenever you're dungeon delving. Oh, yeah. You know, that you could just make it kind of like a... a oh, like fairy lights. Yeah, fairy lights. And, you know, you can get some blue and white Christmas lights to make it that tint that you want and just keep that on for certain, you know, encounters to give it the mood. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to do and pretty cheap. For music, this all made me think of my childhood listening to my dad's you know, eight tracks of like Gene Autry, Marty Robbins, and Roger Miller, and Tennessee Henry Ford. It, it's definitely not, you know, the mythos-inspired version, but it's what made me think what? of the West. What? No boxcar Willie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that eight track. But, you know, those songs you can play as sort of like the jollier intro to maybe turn your players' guards down a little bit before delving into the more horror-themed, you know, if you wanted to. But I think those kind of like ambient, you know, noises of, of my childhood, at least, like make, make me instantly get into the mood of you know, the Old West and and the New Frontier sort of aspects of the story. What about you, Bob? Well, I was thinking more along the lines of getting players into sort of a basic Wild West feel. So I immediately thought of like, you know, cap guns and holsters, you know, tin stars, that sort of thing. When I was a kid, you know, besides the little green plastic army men you could buy, you could get cowboy and Indian sets. Mm -hmm. And they had like little buckboard wagons and cacti. And I think it would be great to score some of those to use as miniatures because yeah. it's just going to sort of add to the entire feel. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then when I got to music, wow. <laughs> I mean, there's an entire series of albums out, Dark Country 1 through 5, and you know, Blanket, there's a lot of great stuff on them. Mm-hmm. There's the band like a Blues Saraceno with their songs like Dogs of War, Heroes Dress in Black. That's the one I was going to put on my list. Dang it. <laughs> Blood to Spill, <laughs> Daniel Ryan Murphy, Rolling in Your Grave. Danny Ferrant and Paul Rawson did two different arrangements for two different volumes of the song In the Pines mm. that were recorded by different artists. Dead Souths, I'll in, in Hell, I'll Be in Good Company. And I warn you about that song because if you listen to that song, it will be in your head for at least a week afterwards. <laughs> Coming with Hellfire by Extreme Music, Pale Rider by The Heavy Horses. Uh, the Highwaymen, you know, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson. Of course. And all their song, The Highwaymen. And uh, I, I love stuff in minor key, especially when it's something you don't expect to be in minor key. 
and there's someone on YouTube, Cam Tacos. <laughs> I can't take that seriously. They take songs and switch them into minor, and there is a minor key version of Country Roads by John Denver Ooh. that is just hauntingly creepy. You know, Bill Paxton and Martini Ranch doing Reach, bands like Nick Nolan, Sons of Perdition, White Buffalo, Willie Watson and My Bubba do a country western version of Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, which is awesome. Okay. <laughs> and then, I mean, Ghost Riders in the Sky kind of gets its own category, right? You need you need to listen to Dick Dale, the King of Surf Rock, Johnny Cash, the Outlaws, the really atmospheric instrumental version by the Ramrods, the kind of straight laced Sons of the Pioneers version, and uh, the kind of more rockin' version by Spider Bait, which they used in the first Ghost Rider movie, which, to be fair, is the only really good part of the first Ghost Rider movie. <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't even include things, you know, like the ecstasy of gold and, and everything from the good, the bad, and the ugly and 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 any Americani and, and and all of that classic Western stuff. There's just so much great weird dark Western stuff out there. Oh yeah. And and David, who's the band that does the song on the Kickstarter video? Ghoultown. Ghoultown. Yeah. And they were really obviously nice guys to let you use the music. Well, it, it came with a small prize, but yeah, they were very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so this this guy just say, Hey, can I use a minute of your song? Yeah. But but you can, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you've mentioned, but if anyone out there actually does the uh, Spotify, you can search and there's a Dark Trails soundtrack that I've, for three years I've been doing this. So, Oh, we'll share the link, definitely. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. put the link in the show notes, you bet. Nice. I think there may be two lists. One of them is like way, way, way packed. I think it's like four hours. Perfect for a con game, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but there's a shorter one that I use more like when I'm riding. I think I'm just kind of fold it down a little bit. But. David, I posted a 26-hour Spotify list of Turkish music, so four hours of Weird West <laughs> is fine. Good Lord. I'm not even going to ask. We should also include the music resource thread that I think Tim DeShane recently added to the Dark Trails group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is like a growing list of Spotify stuff. For props, I was thinking something more along the lines of an unconventional metal pendant. And I've got a friend out in East Jesus, this little desert community in Southern California. And he's been melting down things like brass and nickel together and carving out pieces of rock to put it in to make these just bizarre looking pendants. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm like, ooh, yeah, I, I might need to, to patronize you because, yeah, that's really awesome. I think if you have some nice friends that could help you or some nice translation software, you could recreate a scroll written in Spanish. Based on the size, you're going to need to use like a roll of paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking dot matrix paper, you know, a case, but maybe something smaller. You could easily go to a craft store and get an old tube and work it up as a, as a scroll case. Yeah. And, you know, be nice. Bring out your Spanish to English dictionary. Be nice. <laughs> Only if they roll sufficiently high on their comprehend languages spell check. Or read languages for thieves. Read languages, yeah. I'd give it to them. It's the old West. It might be an occupational skill. That's true. And, and, you know, depending on how close to anything Latin the character class may end up as, you know, if you're a priest or something, I'll give you a chance. For music, I'm gonna go with the bone tomahawk soundtrack oh yeah i haven't listened to that oh yeah good choice i'll just wince and be over here <laughs> yeah yeah you do that old man wizard has a song called the vision oh yeah that is just perfect it's almost like they're singing about the headless 
Ghost Woman. Mm. And the band Kaleo, their album A slash B could probably play from most of my games, specifically the song that everyone's most familiar with, Way Down Below. I love that their live video was done at the bottom of a volcano in Iceland. So you get that completely creepy inside the mound, claustrophobic feeling. But they've also got a couple other really sharp songs like Broken Bones, really nice, almost bluesy feel to it. And hey, Dave, one of the musicians you would probably never hear in relation to something Western. So Cher did a song called Bang Bang. (laughs) 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 And Kaleo's cover of it is haunting. Thanks. You just put images of Cher on a ship with a bunch (laughs) of sailors and that reverse whatever she was wearing. Thanks. I really didn't mean that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're welcome. Dave Mackey, was it? So now that I've left you lovely images in your brain, um, I suppose we should move over to the... uh... If I could turn back time. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) But we're not. We're going forward. We're going to the next segment. For existing DCC inspirations and reskins, I need to throw a little caveat in here for our listeners that it was really, really hard for me to separate the book we just read and the material of David's that's out there. Mm, Yeah. So my brain is trying to pick things that's going to go with Dark Trails. So I might be jumping ahead of myself in a couple places, so uh, deal with me. Right off the bat, for The Mound, you can reskin the people of the pit. Oh, definitely. Down to the, and I'm using air quotes, evolution of species and the strange living quarters and societal happenings down there. I've actually ran this adventure with Dark Trails. It's uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it a few times. Yes, yeah, see what I mean? It's hard to not blur that line. <laughs> <laughs> it works really well, though. It's one of the few that I've tried. I think it's been one of the better ones that goes with the, the whole Dark Trails thing. Awesome. Yeah. We also have upcoming release from third-party Thick Skull Adventures, written by Stephen Newton, The Last Will and Testament of Obadiah Felkner, where you're also going to get that Western feel. There's a heavy use of Spanish history, dated documents, religious iconography. Very nice. Cool. There's an upcoming MCC module coming out by Brendan LaSalle. What? He's playtesting it now, and I'm not even going to bother with the title because I don't know if it's going to be permanent or not, but it takes place in a desert canyon, and it just feels like it would be perfect to work the mound in with this. And hey, there's this one adventure that Bob put together that isn't out yet either for any DCC system, but it really should be. <clears throat> Are you talking about Wingate Pass? I am absolutely talking about Wingate Pass. What is this, Bob? Well, Wingate Pass is in Death Valley, and Death Valley has a lot of really strange lore of hidden cities, hidden cities of giants, people disappearing and reappearing, strange lights. There's, there's just a lot of weird folklore. It was hard to not overlay what I've played in that game a few times with what Mm, I was reading today. Well, and some of the stuff from the mound ties almost exactly into the actual folklore of Death Valley, including, you know, this lost city of this strange, unknown Indian tribe. Well, that explains a lot. (laughs) So I did an adventure that starts in modernish day, and there's all sorts of different threads that come together uh, with the various folklore and timelines. But yeah, I mean, 
Wingate Pass, Death Valley is where they caught Charles Manson. He was hiding under a sink. Mm. I mean, everything <laughs> weird happens in Death Valley. So, uh, yeah. Is this coming up for Dark Trails or is it? It's currently system neutral, agendered. So then, yes, Mark. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is currently system orphaned. So uh, I've been thinking about uh, reworking it a little bit, taking it out of modern day, moving it to the Old West. So do it. Okay, boss. Nice. Okay. I don't think you even need to do that much. But yeah, I, I kind of have to remove mentions of Charles Manson for starters uh, in the Old West. Yeah, you probably won't take that out. Well, I, I suppose maybe. <laughs> I mean, if you make it official, Dark Trails, yeah. If you do it third party, hell with it. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Mark? <laughs> well, David already mentioned this, like that the the series that Harley wrote called "The Journey to Center of Earth," yeah, mm-hmm. DCC number ninety one. It's a really cool. Lost Worlds set of stories, and there were a couple of tie-in adventures, the Lost City of Baraco and the Lairs of Lost Argarta. Mm. And I think one of those was maybe a Terry Olson one. I can't remember who the other author was for the other one. But, Did um, Bishop write one, or did he write some material in one of them? Yeah, maybe in the, a collection, like one of those maybe a collection. Yeah, I think it was a collection. <laughs> but the, the Journey to Center Earth is, is a very much merit, you know, sort of find this underground civilization that has a different culture and advances in certain ways. It's got a kind of a cool mechanic where your PCs gain attributes as they delve deeper. So they become almost like imbued with the life force of this civilization. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, it is fun. It's sort of like this tempting, you know, aspect to it where, yeah, I want to use this power, but I also want to escape this kind of maddening culture. So I thought that was a really good tie in. The other one that made me think of was, you know, it's related to ghost stories is all the Shutter Mountain stuff, especially the Tales of the Shutter Mountains, mm-hmm. which is a series of like four vignettes. Some of them really short. Mm-hmm. Moon Ricket Bridge. But there's a number of them that involve like ghostly apparitions, you know, one that's, you know, pining for a lost love. It is very sort of like it could fit in and, and squeeze in thematically to the beginning of this tale. The other one is Death Among the Pines, where it's a story of a village that's uh, underneath where there's a, a lizard man, you know, tribe or serpent man cult. And it has a lot of kind of cool, you know, ghostly aspects, Western aspects, but also in the Shutter Mountains you know, campaign setting, which I, I think would be also just like a, a kind of a cool place to take and, and pick and choose like the Lovecraftian themes and, and work that in. If you're trying to do a, a Shutter Mountain, you can make it a very Lovecraft oriented Shutter Mountain pretty easily. There's enough kudzu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Bob? Well, I mean, obviously, if you're going to talk about uh, the Wild West and the Weird West, you have to mention black powder black magic those issues blaze the weird west trail for tcc and and they hold up really well it's good stuff easily converted to your favorite flavor of dcc third-party rules or whatnot fantastic stuff great art and certainly as we're seeing now ahead of their time adventure wise i thought if you could take tower of the black pearl and change the title to something like the lost pearl mine Mm. set it underground and I don't believe I'm saying this, change the pirates to outlaws. <laughs> and that's all you need to do. I mean, that's literally all you need to do to make that a Wild West adventure. Brain hurty now. <laughs> the, the other one that I thought of was they serve Brandolin Red. If you change the winery to a distillery, nice. I mean, come on, giant ants coming out of the, the Western desert, like, you know, it came from the <laughs> desert. That's classic. That is so yeah. classic Western horror. Those just leapt to mind immediately. And it's minimal reskinning. It's something that if you're looking for an adventure for a Wild West party, okay, there you go. There's You, you really don't need to change any stats. 
You just need to change a few descriptions and a few terms, and you're pretty much good to go. Yeah. What about you, David? Well, Mark stole mine, so <laughs> I had to come up with something on the fly. We're even. It's revenge. It's oh, revenge. I, I stole your other one. It's fair. We're even now. <laughs> uh, the only thing I could come up with on the fly was just Elfman's Blood Drinking Box by Terry Olson because, you know, they travel like way, way down into the ground and there's the uh, the blood drinking box, which just kind of reminds me of the technology that the telepathic race had, you know? Yeah. And that mm. I think it kind of fit that yeah. a little bit. I don't know what you would do with the hairless cats. I probably would just leave them because I love cats. But. <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, if people really want some ideas of, of what they can do with that, we published essentially a novelization of that adventure in The Companion. Someone had broken the entire thing down as they ran it, and they wrote it as a fiction piece, and it's out there. It's fantastic. Really? And gives you some great ideas, yeah. We also featured it when we did Down to a Sunless Sea by Lynn Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good story. I gotta start listening to podcasts. Yeah, especially <laughs> the ones that you've been on. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't start that precedent, Dave. <laughs> then I'll have to. <laughs> well, I suppose that brings us to our DCC feature for the show. And if you haven't guessed it by now, it's Dark Trails, currently in Kickstarter, written by our own David Beatty. Booyah. Yay me. <laughs> 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 Eighteen sixty-five. The Greys are trying their best to avoid defeat at the hands of the Union Bluebellies, who are pursuing them like bloodhounds tree and river pandas. As fate would have it, neither side would claim victory, and instead both sides will end up back to back fighting against ravenous hordes of soldiers too stubborn to stay buried. Wondering how this conundrum came about? Well apparently an evil hombre calling himself Nara Nara Lado. Ah, hell, tain't no matter. This nasty fella wrangled up a gang of evil to take some dusty book soaked in darkness deep into the Mexican desert. The twisted devil spent seven nights in the desert under a blood moon performing dark rituals fueled by a blood sacrifice until they were able to awaken some elder gods. Powerful kinfolk of the one who gave them the book. Would not for some Texas Rangers in the know, that evil posse would have succeeded in breaking them elder critters out of the prison they'd been snoozing in for ages. Luckily, gates leading to their otherworldly prison closed before the elder kin could slither out. Though the day was saved by the rangers, lots of weirdness still poured out of that portal before it closed up. And now, five years later, men and women of all races and creed take the fight to what's left of the walking dead and those twisted folk that answer the tainted whispers of the Elder Gods, eager to escape. Lucky for us, folks like you and your posse acquired some supernatural gifts during that weird week when the world turned dark, and now you're aiming to even up the score versus the Agents of Darkness. So scan that smoke wagon, hombre. We got some killing to do. Whoa, can I get any chills? Nice, nice. Well, David, do you want to tell us a little bit about this little game uh, you've written called Dark Trails? Yeah, I would call it little because it's... <laughs> Sweet mother of God. <laughs> going to weigh in probably around... It's going to be about as big, if not a little bigger than the DCC book. But of course, just like with DCC, the majority of it will be spells. And mm-hmm. There's not just spells in there. There's uh, We call it clerical spells in the book, miracles, just because it's more of a... Oh, nice. you know, more fitting for the Western setting, I think. Thematic. But there's yeah. a couple of uh, classes in the game that use magic in different ways. So we've actually created elixirs for the Mock Bank, which is kind of like your snake wheel salesman. And also wondrous contraptions, which are constructions that these 
sort of mad scientist types create and construct and then wield the life. So there's a lot of new magic that kind of goes with what already exists in the DCC book. I love that that provides templates for players to start making their own too. Oh yeah. And everything that's in the DCC book, spell-wise, is compatible with Dark Trails. And Dark Trails is a standalone game. So if you've never picked up a DCC book, you can buy the Dark Trails book and you'll have a complete game. But there are some things that were left out in the Dark Trails book that you could also use from DCC, the bestiary, the spells, the uh, spell duel. There, there's some things that were intentionally left out. I mean, obviously, Joseph Goodman allowed me to reprint some of the rules from the DCC book, which was just beyond amazing. I'm, I'm very thankful. So with that, I definitely wanted to make the DCC book useful as well. So you don't have to have it, but it's going to make your experience that much more better. Be honest, if you had put the spells from the DCC core book in there, this thing would have gone like all dwarf star, open up a black hole and swallow you. <laughs> so I can't carry that. Yeah. <laughs> now, David, were there any specific inspirations that you drew on for Dark Trails? Any movies or music? You know, you're kind of like your appendix N, so to speak. Would it be appendix W? Yeah, I think it'd be more appendix W. Um, most of what I've read. I've read the Six Gun Tarot series. Mm, such Yay! a good series. Golgotha, yeah. I've read the majority of it, simply because you guys know, I mean, that one of the reasons why I left the show was to be more focused and spend more time writing because it's just obsessed and obsessed, but it's taken up so much of my life. So I haven't had a lot of time to put into books, and it seems like I do better when I pick up compilations of short stories. Dead Man's Hand, uh, someone sent that to me by mail. It may or may not be on the show. <laughs> so I read a few of those, and those are really good. Tex Arcana is a graphic work that was put into the pages of Heavy Metal. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. You can actually get that in like one book now on Amazon. And I recently purchased that, and I love it. But as far as my inspirations for writing, it's been more movies, I think, and just music. Because, you know, when I'm writing, I'm listening to music, and when I'm listening to music, I typically look for that dark country, you know, so that's led me down a lot of paths uh, of some music that I think people would really enjoy if they were kind of in the same shoes. Movies, there's a good selection of, of Weird West. I know we've talked about it, and I think there's been a list passed around. I put together a stupidly large list, but yeah. <laughs> it's not stupidly large. It's amazing. And people have still added to it, yeah. There are over 150 movies. But what wow. inspired you? I mean, you, well, see, you gotta think before that list, it's like, I'm kind of here and miss, and I'm, you know, fishing around for things to watch. But for those of you that are just getting into the genre, this is like Texas gold. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, people have already added to it. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's cool. I mean... Yeah, I missed a few. I almost feel like this is a genre that... I know that it was big. I don't know how big it was back when Deadlands first, you know, made its yeah. its presence known. I didn't play Deadlands back in the day. I wasn't into westerns, so it's really cool in a way because this genre it really didn't hit me until probably five or six years ago. So there's so much material out there to to mine and, and to to take reference and inspiration from. It's really kind of cool. I'm I'm almost glad that I wasn't into westerns as a kid or a teenager because it's like at 50 years old <laughs> it's something that you know i've got to look forward to that i can kind of delve into and have some fun with and get the new shine yeah well as genres go i mean there's weird westerns going all the way back to the 
serials oh, yeah. like the 1930s. It's certainly not like acid westerns like Bone Tomahawk, but you know, there's all sorts of stuff. Cowboys versus dinosaurs versus mm-hmm. zombies, Aliens. vampires. You know, there's just so much great stuff out there. And... Dinosaur crawl classics. <laughs> Sorry, it's like the equivalent of Bob's Black Sun Death Crawl. Bronchosaurus mm. Rex, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious, so like, what was the, like, you talk about, like, inspirations that, that kind of, like, you collected as you long went away, but it was such recent genre for you. What was it that led you originally down that path? We had played DCC for close to two years, and we just needed a break. And so we talked about different games and different genres, and everybody was kind of tipping their hat towards a weird west, and... And, you know, in that time period, I think I had kind of started really getting into it. So I said, let's try Black Powder, Black Magic. And we did. But, you know, we wanted something. I think there was only like two fanzines out. So, you know, we really wanted something that had a little bit more, more options maybe to choose from. So we went to Deadlands and we played that, which is a great game, Savage Worlds. And we played that for probably a couple of months. And I kind of started building the story uh, that's in Dark Trails in Deadlands. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the, the backstory. There's so much to read. There's so much material for Deadlands and it's all great, but I kind of just went my own route with that. And after about three months, I don't know, we just started missing the DCC rules. <laughs> so we yeah. took a couple of weeks and I just, I don't know where these classes came from. I sat down and I just made classes for a couple of weeks. And then when we sat down to play again, here they were and we started playing and I added the, uh, the story that's now in you know the Dark Trails backstory, and they had a lot of fun with it. And from there, in uh, the beginning of 2016, started running it at cons and just never stopped. It's just kind of grown ever since. So let me get this straight for every judge out there. You had a group of players. They said, we want to play something different. You said, okay. And they said, we don't want to play that. You said, okay. We don't want to play that. You said, okay. And so then you just wrote a game system for them. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> you know, set the bar so high for every other judge out there. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of extra rules. I mean, there are some mechanics, and, and a lot of them have kind of come to be in the last year or so. But we started with guns, obviously, and we just kind of tweaked it, and we went from here to there. And, and now, as it stands, there's a Boons and Hexes mechanic, which I think sort of follows along with the Lankmar fleeting luck. Okay. It works differently, but I think it's kind of the same. I've yet, don't hate me, but I've yet to read any of the Lankmar stuff. I hope Michael Curtis isn't listening to this. You've been busy. Dude, understandable. Uh, no, it, it's totally understandable. <laughs> uh, but you know, when the Lankmar playtest went out, that was right when I was starting to getting ready to run this publicly. So it's just, I just didn't have time. I was going to, I think I was on the, the Lankmar playtest list and I just couldn't do it. But there's uh, the booms and hexes. There's an actual mechanic for... When you're zero level, you know, at DCC, some of your characters don't get to roll on the luck table, you know? So there's actual an element, like when you make it through your funnel and you go to the first level and you actually pick your class, you go to the crossroads and meet Old Scratch, which is basically the devil. And it's kind of like you realize that you're destined for a little more in life and maybe you can meet Old Scratch at the crossroads and beat them at a game of chance to get like a little permanent gift or a curse. So if you lose with the, the game of chance, you, you could walk away with a physical, like a limp or something. But <laughs> if you beat the devil with the game of chance, you might actually have something really cool. Like you could tell when people tell lies. Or, so there's probably five solid mechanics that separate it from DCC. But all those mechanics, I think, lend to building up a real supernatural feel with a weird West element to it. Nice. And it's human-centric, right? Mm-hmm. No demi-humans? Okay. I mean, when, when you say that, I have things in my head that I have to say no. 
and I slap myself and I'm like, no, you got too much. You know, there, there are 11 classes already and you got enough, not too much, yeah. but enough for now. So if there are additional supplements in the future, if it does pretty good, there's some ideas that I have. So there may be some racial classes down the road, but let's get it out first. Exactly. And, and I was even going to say, I would almost be more a fan of having a module that adds flavor to it or additional things rather than, yeah. how do you say, splat book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no there's there's plenty of room, I think, for supplements that I don't think they would altogether qualify as a splat book. I, I, I want to focus on like the Native American tribes. I want to do them upright. And I don't think it would be fair to just, I think some role-playing games kind of throw them all in a pot, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. If we do something like that, I want it to be a really awesome thing, you know, where everybody's like, man, that is really cool. Get some other folks involved. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And at, at least separate them by geographic area. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, to me, it would be much better to specify or to, to actually hit on one tribe and, and really go deep into their particular beliefs and their rituals and and, you know, kind of use that as a foundation to add some, maybe some fantasy elements that would kind of lend itself to, a obviously, a role-playing game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Ooh. Well, it's a great chance to draw on some other talent in the writing community who actually have mm -hmm. experience because they're from those cultures. Yeah, I love that. And yeah. they're going to bring more than you're going to find on, like, Wiki. Yeah, I mean, that's mm -hmm. you can really do things like that right if you have the time and take the time. Yep. Okay, and to roll back to the last segment where I said I had another one that I wasn't going to, like, Below the, the surprise and everything. Mark touched on the Shutter Mountains, but since they are human-centric, if you wanted to start a campaign before Dark Trails comes out and eventually shift over to it, I think it would be a totally natural flow because you could gradually introduce a few artifacts from Dark Trails and get them kind of interested in the feel of it and some of the new mechanics, if you will. Oh, yeah. Easily. They could wagon train out west from the Shutter Mountain. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. And then when the PCs start dying off, you can replace them, give them their choice of Dark Trails classes to choose from, and just kind of take over the game that way. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. And the, the way the funnels are set up in, in Dark Trails, the really the only things you really need to worry a whole lot about are the gun mechanics and maybe the fear and madness. Okay. And if you can get those down, which, I mean, if you know your DCC rules, you're really only adding a couple of things to it. And I do suggest that. It's totally fine if you're a judge and you wanted to do something like in the Shutter Mountains and you've, you've got Dark Trails and you kind of want to just move into it slowly with your characters, then that's perfect. You could just kind of... All of a sudden, a gun pops up, a magical arcane a firearm, and then you've got firearm rules. So you could definitely do that. I really liked how you talked about how you've been doing this for so many years, but just the, the community's building excitement around this oh, yeah. product. It's just been so awesome to see. I mean, a lot of you just sweating, you know, hard work getting out to all these conventions, running it. All the art that's been produced for Dark Trails to this point, even before the Kickstarter. Oh yeah, it's amazing to see, and I, you know, I'm just really excited for you. Really excited for you know the the fans that have sort of been building up to this and participating in it. Yeah, it's funny because when I pushed the launch button, I just I don't know, I was I was kind of nervous in a way, and and you know I think some people they stay glued to their monitor and they watch, and I was like, you know what, I turned the laptop off, mm. I played with the cat for a few minutes, and then I just went and ran some errands, and I was like, I'm just gonna look at it tonight when I get home. And three hours later, it's like, you know, you funded, right? <laughs> I'm in the grocery store. And my phone's like, rrr, 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 rrr. and it's like, hey, hey, you're up to this. You're up to that. You just, I was like, 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's got to be great vindication. I mean, you, you started working on this, what, like 2014, 2015? Towards the end of 2015. I don't know. I mean, it just, to me, it just goes back to the BCC community. I mean, you know, that that's the foundation for Dark Trails. And it's awesome because I know we're pulling a lot of people into the Kickstarter that, you know, they may never have played DCC, but you can't say enough about the people in this community. They support Anything that you do creatively, you're going to get support from the people in the community. And I don't know if that goes on in other gaming circles, but I haven't seen it. So it's just another thing that makes DCC so awesome. Yeah, it was one of the things that I was kind of worried that, you know, with this dysphoria from Google Plus and all that, that there was going to be like, it was going to kind of go away or the feeling that, you know, I think you're starting showing evidence that people are still banding together, yeah. still, you know. Oh, totally into it. So well, we've got all of our dark trail stuff going back four or five years. We you know, we want to use more of it. <laughs> I gotta use this cup koozie somewhere. I love the day you launched. How many people just took pictures of themselves wearing their dark trail shirts? You know, holding character sheets or you know, holding some of the beta rules and rule sets they had, and it was just it was really neat to see yeah. that sort of support and that sort of love. It's very humbling. It really is. I mean, it, you don't think about it when you're writing it and i'll be honest with you, you don't think about it when you launch a kickstarter but then these things start popping up and then you realize you know i guess how long a journey it's been and how many friends you've made and how much support they've given you you know through the years you're trying to build a name well you've definitely done that yeah well deserved yeah yeah i'm being a good shill tonight <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's wearing her dark girl shirt or one of them correct one of them. well then why don't we move over to road crew and convention shout outs I was going to say, speaking of the community, yeah, Bruce Cunningham and company hold a road crew game the last Wednesday of every month at the Organ Grinder Pub in Loughborough, Luster. Yeah, I bangled that. Sorry. Now with two tables of gaming and thanks to Bruce again for the pizza at Brinkmanomicon. That was awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, having someone in the UK send pizza to your event in Florida is... Uh... We win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I didn't yeah. know you did that. He's a brat. We love you. Meetup's DCC RPG New York City group is hosting weekly games on Saturday afternoons at the Brooklyn Strategist, rotating between Judges Hoy, Andrew Sternick, Vasily Kalaman, and David Willems. Please note that the Brooklyn Strategist has a $10 cover charge. Guess what? We will soon be announcing the winners of our MCC content contest. Ooh. Stay tuned. Our road crew locations are a crucial part of the hobby, and we should support them every chance we get, right? Yeah. Dungeon Games, the friendly local gaming store in Southwest Florida, is moving to a new location so they can offer us more space, more tables, and larger RPG selections. So if you feel so inclined to give them a little boost, they do have a GoFundMe page set up for the occasion, which we'll link to in our show post. And there's Dungeon Games swag. Yes, and, and they're <laughs> using the funds to help do things like build more tables which they're doing by hand and they wow yeah they're really nice and did you know that the sanctum Sacorum podcast is now available on spotify what? Mm -hmm. you can actually find us on about a dozen podcast outlets spotify ivox Podchaser, itunes podbeam pod paradise listen notes iHeartRadio, player fm Podtail, stitcher google play and others can't find us on your favorite podcast outlet Drop us a line and let us know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, I will. I collect podcast outlets like I collect DCC books. <laughs> so, Dave, before we go, tell us a little bit about the actual Kickstarter that's going on right now. We're almost on one week, so we've got, I believe, another three weeks to go. June 16th. 
Yep, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for saving me on that, Jen. <laughs> but the Kickstarter is basically to help basically provide support for layout, editing, additional art. Also, I want to do an offset run of standard print books as opposed to going to print on demand. So this is a good way of doing that. We've got two editions of the book. One is going to be awesome because it's going to have cover art by one of my favorites, San Julian. Ooh. And the other one is going to be uber cool because it's going to be leatherette. And I'm going to try as hard as I can to make it look old west and leathery with the logo. If any of you have seen or run across the Dark Trails logo, you'll know it's a sugar skull with a banner under it and the pistols. And I'm going to try and get that embossed on the book for the limited edition run. Yay! We are not even seven days in, and I didn't make enough stretch goals and add-ons, which is, I guess, a problem you want to have. Yeah, you're almost triple funded. Yeah, so the next couple days are probably going to be me talking to various people about some of the add-ons and stretch goals, which a lot of people suggested things, and I do listen, and if I can make those happen, I will. But I also want to err on the side of caution to make sure that, you know, this Nothing that we add is going to affect any of the actual book, getting it out as quickly as possible. Speaking of the book, so I was talking to Jim Sketch, and, and we realized... Who's Jim Sketch? <laughs> yeah, the, mm -hmm. the only reason that we're buying, you know, two copies of the book is because there's only two covers. So I'm here to ask you <laughs> to release a third run. You can limit it to, like, two copies. He'll buy one, I'll buy the other. <laughs> <laughs> but we would like a third cover option. Damn it, Sketch! Okay. We'll call it the sketch, the sketch add-on. Well, and you know, if you do the regular with and without foil, you know, you'll you'll at least sell one on there too. But yeah, just give us another cover. Like I said, you don't have to do a huge print run of it. You know, if there's only say two of them in existence, we're cool with that. I mean, Haley's tuition is already kind of questionable, so we'll call that pledge level the damn it, baby, and uh, it'll be all good. Sheesh. So, want to see your creation in the DCC community's only free? Well generally monthly easing. Keep an eye out for our future topics. We can include your material in the show companion. We'd love to see what sort of things you've created based on your appendix and reading, and we'd love to hear how you've used the ideas we've been discussing. Do you have a favorite spell from the companion or a favorite monster from appendix nightmares? Let us know. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please comment on the podcast. Help us by posting a review on iTunes or DriveThruRPG for you zine fans. The ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast. They also make us feel really good. <laughs> Be sure to uh, mention us on Facebook, wake us up on MeWe, still ignore us on Ello, and back dark trails. We hope we've inspired you. Thanks for listening. Any final words, Mr. Beatty? Give the Kickstarter a look, and if you like what you see, back it, and let some other folks know. And if you don't like it, back it anyway. <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> Jen any thoughts thank you for coming back bacon wizard I enjoyed it it's good to see you guys again play with you in the uh, sanctum first time we've all four been in the same place yeah yay yeah, we've almost got all of the David Beatty stains cleaned up so it's good that you came back <laughs> yeah. yeah we really need to fix that basement door take out the steps <laughs> what about you Mark any final thoughts oh I just want to thank David for letting me keep a seat warm <laughs> <laughs> it's very cozy yeah, you get cooties that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we shared a hotel room before, so I feel very close to David. Oh. So have we, actually, yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. I get around. Can you feel the love? Okay. It's <laughs> a really loud fan. Polyamorous with his face, <laughs> I think. It's, it's polyliterate, I think. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a great night. I'm out. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Sea is
stranger. Why don't you come over closer to the fire? Marshall, Joan, and I were just about to start talking about some weird west tales. Sure has been strange these days. You know, you don't look so good, friend. Why don't you come closer so as we can see you proper? Now hold on. No need to pull your irons. Holy... to a corral near you, Six Gun Sorcery, a podcast about Weird West books, movies, and games. <laughs> 